I want us to start with Psalm 139. Uh, I know that all of us have burdens. Uh, all of us have different things. I think about Bob Hazlitt. Uh, also, Mark Andrews will be having surgery this week. Uh, Terry and Janet Crocker, there. Janet's daughter Missy went in for a uh, her appendix or, or gallbladder, one of those. I can't remember um, exactly which one, but before they got in, it ruptured. And uh, so she's in severe condition this morning. And uh, Janet is flying from Georgia to Ohio to be with her daughter. And I know that they would appreciate uh, your prayers. And um, what's neat for me as I go along in ministry, these things can become kind of like a burden. Lord, there's just so much going on. There's marriages that need help. And so I come back to a passage of Scripture, Psalm 139. And I look at verse 13. I want you to think about your Heavenly Father this morning, and I want you to think about prayer requests, and I want you to think about burdens, and I want to remind you that your Heavenly Father can take care of all these issues. It's not, a, it's not too much for Him. And you start from Psalm 139 and verse 13. You, for you form my inward parts. You cover me in your mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And saying those words remind me that uh, Josie Terrell had a baby boy, uh, last night, um, Jack Allen uh, in Texas, and so um, the Terrells are grandparents this morning, and uh, thanking the Lord uh, for that new new birth uh, to Jordan and Josie. Marvelous are your works, that my soul knows them well. My frame was hidden from you when I was made in secret, and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance, being knit, but, but yet unformed. And in your book, there was written words. The days flashed before me, whereas it yet none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I could count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I wake, I am still with you. So this morning, as we've gathered together, as a family, I want to remind you that your father knit you together in your mother's womb. And no matter what your need is, no matter what our prayer requests are, he can handle them. And I want you to go backwards in your Bible with me to Psalm 119. I want you to go to 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You think about your Heavenly Father who's knit you together. And what's one of his greatest desires for you is to come to your Bible and say, Father, speak to me. Father, your word will be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I want you to keep going back in Psalm 119 and verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the ways of your statutes, and I shall keep it to the end. Is that your heart this morning? Your Heavenly Father put you together, and he longs for you to learn from him. He longs for you to read his word, but not just hear it, not just read it, but obey it. Verse 9 of Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his lay his way clean? By taking heed according to your word. Taking heed according to your word. Father, I just thank you for this opportunity to gather. Father, it's amazing to know that you knew that Lindsay and Rachel and that team would be together. And you knew the little girls and the young men that would say yes to you, Jesus. And you sent a group of Americans to a place called Romania that you knew, that you formed, that you put the camp there from eternity past. You knew all was going to be there. And you knew the exact week 
that they would be there. You knew the exact words that would be said. And you knew which hearts would say yes to you, Jesus. So we say thank you from the bottom of our hearts. But I can't wait to get to heaven and, and see kids from Romania. From around the world because they said yes to your son. And you knew about it. You planned it. And we're going to get a chance to stand shoulder to shoulder one day and worship you for eternity. What a blessing. Work for you for eternity. What a blessing. And so, Father, as we've gathered this morning, and I know as we come together, we've got our prayer requests. And there's things not are on this piece of paper, but are in our hearts. And, Father, I just want to stop and ask you for help today because you know all about these things. There's nothing too big for you. There's no marriage that's too broken. There's no heart that's too broken for you to fix, for you to mend, for you to heal. And so, Father, we come to you today and we ask for help. We're desperate for you, Jesus. So as we humble ourselves before you, may you speak through the songs. Thank you for speaking through Lindsay's life. May you speak through your word, Father. May we not just be an individual or a family that gathers and says, oh, that's, that's kind of neat thoughts. So that's interesting perspective. But Father, may our heart hunger and thirst for your word and obedience to your word because of what you've done and what you mean to us because of our personal relationship with you, Jesus. It's your name I pray. Amen. I want you to also, um, as you go about this week, I'd like you to be in prayer for um, Andrew and Julie Feld. Uh, Julie um, had her spleen removed on, th- on Thursday uh, afternoon. And... Um, if I have my information right, her body was eating her white blood cells. I don't I think I think that that right, Trey? The, that some one of them, but um, so one of their they found that out when their daughter was born. So they airlifted her to Tampa General, and um, they've been doing some different treatments trying to help her. And the doctor said the next step of the what they were doing uh, didn't work. So the next step was to take out her spleen, and so they have removed it. So Andrew and Julie. Uh, Fells, really would appreciate your prayers. Uh, neat young couple, two small children, and uh, it was just neat to, we got to have uh, supper with them. Susan and I had supper with Julie and Andrew, and um, excited about young couples that love Jesus, and uh, it was, they're a neat couple, so I'd ask you to be praying for them. No, I was just wondering, um, as we've been worshiping, and I, will this pop up this morning or not? It will. Maybe. You lose it. Just thinking about um, worship and and just thinking about you know kind of like history. And it's interesting as you go and you travel back and you think about history. And I think about the nation of Israel and and think about some of the stuff that we've been studying with Solomon and David and and um, and then to think. You know, what it was like to be uh, in the tabernacle and, and worshiping uh, after Solomon had built it. And I just wonder, you know, what it was like as they would think back to different passages of Scripture, which they knew. And I wonder how often they would sing Exodus chapter 15. 
And now as you, as we are together today, we're going to get to 2 Kings. And if you really study the book of 2 Kings, you will leave really depressed. Because it's shocking how far the nation has went. You know, Solomon is gone now. The tabernacle was there, but Solomon said we're going to worship in in different ways. So now you've got two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And now you're going to get a chance to watch about 300 years of history, and it's going to go all over the place. And I just, you know, was just wondering, how many generations are we removed from the tabernacle where the people would stand there and say, okay, God, we worship you today. God, we're going to lift our voice to you today. God, you've done amazing things. Look at Solomon's castle and and the, the military might of David. And, and now we've got this tabernacle and we see you. You dwell with us. And then you get to Second King. See, they knew about Exodus chapter 15. They knew about the song where it says there in Exodus chapter 15, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and the rider, they were hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. They knew about that in history. They also knew about in Joshua chapter 6 what it was like in, in, in Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. They knew that story. They were, they were very well aware of the power of the Israel's God. But you find them in 2 Kings and it's a disaster. It's one sin after another sin. It's one leader after another leader. They're just living for themselves. In 2 Kings, it's, it's really... A lot of different storylines, confrontation, medical storylines, resurrection, ascension stories, success stories, recoveries, there's battles, there's murder, there's revenge, there's narrative, there's prayers. So now you've got this nation of Israel that's got rich heritage of a God. And not just, not just any God. A God that brought them out of captivity. A God that took them to to the walls of Jericho and said, hey, come tumbling down. A God that provided David, this leader, a man after God's own heart, right there in front of them. God that allowed a tabernacle to be built so the presence of God could worship there. And now you have the book of 2 Kings. The book that follows after This line of the wisest king that ever walked. The wealthiest king that ever walked. The king that had it all. Solomon. Also, if you you like trying to put the puzzle pieces uh, together, during this time frame of history, this 300 years of history, um, you have some Old Testament prophets. Amos, uh, Hosea, Obadiah, Joel, Isaiah, Zephaniah, uh, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, and Jeremiah. All those guys prophesied in this time frame. So even though they are farther on in your, in, in your Old Testament, these guys are speaking in this time of history. A time of history when the nation of Israel was in a disaster. And so this morning as you've gathered, and if you go through and look through, through the history, I'm just going to use my, my uh, words here with me, and I'll, for whatever reason I'll get the PowerPoint to work second. I'm not sure why it's not working but as I was looking through 2 Kings, I remember this song as a little guy. And, and if you're 
most of you will probably remember it. There's a couple of the younger people in here that will have no idea what this is, and I'm not going to sing it, so I'm just going to read it, the words, so don't worry. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Father up above is looking down in love, so be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little feet, where you go, for the Father up above is looking down in love, so be careful, little feet, where you go. I just find it really interesting this morning as you gather around what we call the Word of God and you go back and you're, you're in your Old Testament Bible and you're in 2 Kings. And most of us probably haven't studied 2 Kings. A lot of us maybe have read it, but we haven't really sat down and really looked at it. And it's this amazing passage of Scripture, page after page after page of the destruction of the nation of Israel. Unwise choice after unwise choice after. After they knew what was right. Isn't that interesting? They knew history. They knew biblical truth. But there was still something inside of them saying, Okay, God, we want to keep you at a distance. We don't want to do it your way. God, we know what is true and we understand what is true. But even though we know what is true, there's still something inside of me saying, You know what, God? I'm just going to go my way. God, I'm just going to live for myself. And over these, these passages of Scripture, you're only going to find two kings that, have, that are, would be considered characteristic of, of a good king. Righteous and faithful. There's only going to be two. Hezekiah and Josiah. But what's interesting is, and what I think is cool is, God is going to work in the midst of this big old mess. And God's going to take this ordinary guy, and God's going to give him supernatural power, and God's going to move in a wicked generation because God still wants to speak. And God still wants to give people the opportunity to see the power of the Israelite God. As I was thinking about our church family, we don't talk a lot about the miraculous power of our God, do we? We don't talk a lot about the supernatural power of our God. And so we just kind of go along with life, not thinking, God, you still are a miracle-working God. God, you still can do something amazing, so we're just going to ask you to do something. Because I know something about every single one of you. All of you need a miracle in some area of your life. Family member, work situation, health issues, financial issues. The Seymours, I was just reading that, Dick Seymour, uh, the letter for their, about their, their son. Just it, goes, it could go on and on. We could spend hours talking about all the things that weight your heart down, can't we? You know what you do, or I do at times? I forget that my God can do something in my situation. I forget to stop and say, hey, you know what, Heavenly Father, you have been faithful for all generations. And one of the things that I've seen through all the generations is that your miraculous working power, God, do something radical. God, do something amazing. I was talking to Ruth Hoffman on the phone this week, and her father passed away. And, and so she went to the hospital to see her dad and as she was talking to her dad, just so happened that the chaplain walked in. 
interesting how you get those just-so-happened scenarios. And it just so happened that this chaplain had a desire for Ruth's father to come to know Jesus as his personal Savior. And so the last four days or five days of her father's life, after that meeting in the hospital room, her dad said yes to Jesus Christ. So now that he's gone, Ruth knows where her father will be. Miracle. And we could go around the room. I was just thinking about, you know, Ted and cancer and four or five different doctors. They fly to Texas because they're going to do surgery, but they can't just have one surgeon. They've got to have five different surgeons because of where... You know, the cancer's located, so we gathered together and prayed. He flew out to Texas. When he went to see the doctors, the doctor said, well, where'd the cancer go? It's gone. And that's been, what, five years? Five years now. Gone. So as this morning, as one of the things I want you to see is, or I want to remind you of, that your God is still a miracle-working God. And even though at times maybe we don't see him and he doesn't act as quickly as we want him to, remember he's faithful. Don't stop asking. Don't get discouraged. Don't give up. Ask God to do something that that you can't explain. You know, it's it's neat to watch God work. So if you have your Bible, go to 2 Kings. To really one name you're going to hear a lot this morning is you're going to have this, as you, as you transition from 1 Kings to 2 Kings, you're going to transition from Elijah to Elisha. I mean, a new prophet come on the scenes. And uh, what I want you to see this morning is, is, the, is the miracle working God in the life of Elijah, Elisha. But before you get there, um, I want you to look at 2 Kings uh, chapter 2. And you're going to get to see the transition. Now, um, you're going to see the transition from Elijah to Elisha. Now, what I love about this is because God knows I love to learn this way. I'm, I'm not a very good learner if you say to me, uh, here's a book, you read it, and then two hours later or 15 minutes later or five minutes later, I'd like to sit down and talk with you about the book. And so you read the book, and then I'll come and ask you questions about the book. My mind is useless when it comes to that. I cannot retain it. It's, I know it's in there, but for whatever reason, if you put a piece of paper in front of me and tell me to read this piece of paper, and then you put another piece of paper beside that paper and say, okay, now tell me what you just read, it would just stay blank. Because my mind doesn't work that way. But my mind works really well if you show me something, and then I understand how to do that. And so it's interesting as you think about this transition, um, could have been a class, it could have been an opportunity for Elijah just to sit down and say with Elisha, okay, Elisha, this is how it works. This is the power of the God that you're going to be worshiping with and following, and, and people are going to come to you and ask for advice. And this is how you do it, one, two, three. But he didn't do it that way. So Elisha knows that Elijah is going to leave. And so look what happens in, in chapter 2, uh, in verse 8. You see that... Uh, they're going to go away. Verse 7, there's 50 prophets that are watching this happen. They've come to the Jordan River. And so now they get to the Jordan River, and, the, and they're going to they're cross the Jordan River. 
And Elisha takes off his cloak, he rolled it up, and he struck the water with it, and the water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Was that a coincidence? Fifty prophets watching. Elisha's going to be the new leader. Coincidence? I don't think so. I think it was Elisha being able to watch Elijah. And I think it was important for Elisha to be reminded that a hundred years before that, the nation of Israel crossed over on dry land. So Elisha, come walk with me. And I'm going to show you that no matter what the circumstance is, okay, the circumstances are way worse than what you and I face in America today. And I think one of the things that I was talking with um, somebody this week about uh, America, and I, I want you to, 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 say, to think about this. Go back and read 1 Corinthians. Go back and read what it was like to be a believer at the time of the 1 Corinthians believers. You have it pretty good living in America. For the first time in our history, the world that is around us in America is no longer conforming to biblical values, but that's the first time in the history. Where here's, here's truth. Now, am I excited about where it's headed? No, I'm not. Am I concerned? Um, kind of, but not really because I, I serve a miracle-working God. So even though it might look bad now, it was way worse when Elijah and Elisha were there. And so now God is going to have to show and remind Elisha, hey, I've got this. I have the power to use you in amazing ways. I have the power for you to demonstrate into this wicked, wicked world that Jesus and God is still the way, the truth, and life. I have the power to remind you that all the Old Testament stories that you know that you were told about, that the God that you worshipped in the tabernacle, hey, I'm still here. Let's cross this Jordan River. I'll demonstrate my power to you. And so they walked across on dry ground. They get on the other side, and, and, and Elijah and Elijah are walking. And uh, I've never seen this, and I don't think I really want to see this. But can you imagine what chariots of fire and horses look like? And what I think is also interesting is these two are together in chapter 2 and verse 9. When they crossed, Elisha said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken from you. And Elisha asked, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Elisha replied, verse 10, you have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise not. And I, what I think is really interesting is I was studying this double portion thought process. Elisha's not asking to be as twice as popular as Elijah. He's not asking for twice as many miracles. He's asking to be successful like Elijah. He's asking to carry the ministry of God on in a wicked world. Hey, Elijah. I just want to see God glorified in our community. I just want to make a difference. I want my life to stand out like your life. I want the power that was on you from God. I want to be different. 
That's what he was asking. And as you read on, and, and you've, you know this from Sunday school, is, is uh, 2 uh, verse 11. As they're walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. Interesting as you think about chariots and horsemen, there was no more military might than a chariot than a horseman. There was none. At this point in history. So now you have Elisha standing there. And his leader is gone. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his clothes and tore them apart. He picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood at the bank of the Jordan River. I want you to stop there. He's back at the bank of the Jordan River. What is he going to do? He's got a decision to make. Other than being scared half out of his mind for seeing this, these chariots and these horsemen, and, and other than his leader that he was talking to and walking with, and these chariots and horses come down, and then his leader's gone, and he's standing there, and all he's got left is the cloak. And the Jordan River. What's he going to do? If it would have been me, I would have thought about maybe going in a totally different direction. You know what? I know there's probably still going to be those 50 prophets standing on the other side, but God, I just think we just need to go in a different direction. What's fascinating to me? He takes the cloak, strikes the river, separated again. He walks across on dry ground. Is that coincidence? I don't think so. I think that was Elisha saw Elijah do something. He said, okay, God, I'm just going to follow you. And then as he comes back into town, he's going to see um, these other 50 prophets, and they're going to look at him and say, wow, Elisha's back. And now you get a chance to see some amazing things. And I'm not going to, I can't go through all of them, but I'm just going to highlight some of these is to, just for you to think about the miraculous working, the miraculous working power of the God of Elisha. And to be reminded of you that your Heavenly Father still has miraculous power, supernatural power. In, two verse, in chapter 2, verse 19, he takes salt and he puts it in the water and he heals the water. In chapter 2, and verse 23, he's walking into Bethel. It's full of apostasy disrespect towards the prophets. As he walks back into town, there's 50 making fun of him. And in verse 23, from there Elisha went up to Bethel. As he walking him on the road, some youth came out of the town and jeered at him. <clears throat> go up, you bald head. They said, go up, you bald head. He turned around, looked at them, called down a curse on them name of the Lord, and two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youth. That's pretty cool. I like blood and guts. You know, they don't have to have all romantic stories in the Bible for you ladies. I mean, hey, you're going to mock God, he calls down, Phew, there's only going to be two left. How many years after did those two remind themselves that they called that prophet a bald head? 
How many generations did they walk around and tell their children and their grandchildren, hey, I was one of those guys, yep, I was the bald head guy. I was one called him bald head, and all of a sudden, there's bears around us. Or maybe one of those two said, you know what, this guy is different. Maybe we need to stop buying into the apostasy. Maybe we need to stop the buying into the lies of the world. Maybe we need to stop following the sin that we're following that, that's represented in our community. The worship of false gods. And so all you have really is these youth that have followed their parents in the lies of false gods and worshiping false gods. And when the true prophet walks in, they mock him. Oh, we don't need you. You're just an old bald head guy. Where'd they learn that from? From their parents. Oh, we don't, we don't need the God of Israel anymore. I wonder what happened out of the 48. I wonder what their parents said after this. The ones that mauled, that were mauled. I wonder if dad went back home and fell on his face before God and said, Okay, God, I'm wrong. You sent the prophet to get my attention. You sent the prophet to wake my family up for generations to come. God, I'm going to turn back to you. I don't, I don't know. But I know that 42 people, gone. Sorry, 42, not 40. 42 of the 50, so there's eight left. I want you to go down to chapter 3. He sends floods to confuse the Moabites. Chapter 4. He multiplied as the widow's oil. And um, I'm just going to list these off really quick, and then you, you can think about them um, this afternoon. Just remind, and you, if you want to go back and read the specifics about the details, the Shulamite woman bears a son in chapter 4. That's 8 through 17. He resurrects a Shulamite son in chapter 4, 18 through 37. He purifies the poison stew in chapter 4. 38 to 44. He heals Naaman's leprosy in chapter 5. We're going to look at that one. Um, he floats an axe head in chapter 6. We're going to look at that one. He gives sight to the, to the king's messenger in chapter 6. The blind, he blinds the whole army in chapter 6, and his bones resurrect a dead man. So all of these are the miracles of the life of Elisha. Are they there just for coincidence? I don't think so. I think they're there for us to stop and go back and look at the power of your God. In chapter 5, you have Naaman. And I want to look at this just in, in a little bit of detail. Naaman, in chapter 5, verse 1, Naaman is the commander of the king's army. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because though through him the Lord gave victory to Aram, he was a... Uh, a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now, it's interesting to me, and I had some pictures, and I don't, you know, when you think about leprosy, leprosy is just horrific. And one of my pictures, you basically have a foot with no toes, and basically underneath where your big toes and your little toes would be is just flesh that's just rotting off. You have this soldier who has leprosy. I find very interesting, in this passage of Scripture, God sends a slave girl to the soldier's wife. Servant. He's got a servant girl living in the home. But this servant girl knew something about a prophet. And so the servant girl who has a love for 
for I assume the the this this valiant soldier um, Naaman's wife has a love for Naaman, and he doesn't want this guy to die. And he says, "Hey, you know what? I I know how you can get healed." And so the servant girl goes to this valiant warrior and says, "Hey, go to the to the prophet. Go see him. He'll heal you." How did that servant girl know that? Why did that servant girl still believe in the power of the prophet? She's a servant girl now. She just works for this family. And if it would happen, to, if, it, if this servant girl would be like most of us that live in America and call ourselves Christians, we'd have walked away from God. God, I don't want to be a servant. God, I'm mad at you today. You didn't give me what you, I wanted. God, I wanted the house over there in the corner. I wanted to live there. I want to have money. I want to be married. I want to have three children. I want the house to look like this. But the servant girl, very specific, a Jewish girl that knew about the prophet, said, you know what? I still believe. And you as the mighty warrior, the leader of the army, hey, go to the prophet. Go see him. He'll heal you. He'll set you free from leprosy. Now this is fascinating. The servant girl is telling this valiant soldier, go to, the, go to the prophet. What's the soldier going to do? He's got a choice to make. Ah, she's just a servant girl. She doesn't know what she's talking about. How long did he wait? How fast was the leprosy spreading? What point was the leprosy in this soldier's body? I don't know. But what the word of God says to me is the servant girl approaches this warrior's wife. The warrior's wife says, hey, you need to go to the prophet. So look at verse 4. Naaman went to his master and told what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king said. I will send a letter to Israel. So Naaman left, taking uh, 10 talents of silver and 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 sets of, of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, this letter I'm sending my servant Naaman to you, that you may cure him of leprosy. And he gets to the king. And Elisha sees the king in distress. And so instead of being too busy, instead of saying, you know what, God, I really don't think you're going to make a difference in this soldier's life, so we really don't need to worry about the king. We don't really need to worry about the king's emotion. i got a lot of things on my plate today. Elisha stopped and said, king, what's wrong? What's troubling you? How many people have walked by us this week that had trouble on their face, but we were just too busy? How many people walked by us that were hurting this week, broken this week, where we could have said, hey, I know this God, his name is Jesus. He's died on the cross for us. He'll give you hope no matter how bad it is. I'm too busy. Got this to do, got that to do. But Elisha stopped and said, King, what's the problem? This guy's got leprosy. Now this, this is really cool. This soldier's got leprosy. And drop down in verse 10, it says, Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be clean, cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would come out to meet me. Really? You want to be cured of your leprosy? Go take a bath. No, I want this prophet to come talk to me. So now, now he's mad. 
Because this warrior that's got leprosy has been given the cure. He knows what to do. Just go to the Jordan. Go there. No, wait a minute. I'm an important guy. I'm a warrior. You need to come out and talk to me, buddy. You need to come see me face to face. I didn't, well, I didn't come all this way for you to send some messenger to me. Is it interesting? Are you like that too? When God said something from his word, hey, this is what I want from you. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm too big for this. That's not, what, that's not the messenger I want, God. I don't, I don't want to do that. That doesn't fit me. That doesn't fit my lifestyle. That doesn't fit what I want to do. And so now this warrior is going to have to make a choice. What's he going to do? Is he going to go take a bath? If he takes a bath, leprosy is going to be gone. Oh, I'm, ab- I'm above that. I don't need that. I'm going to buy, buy this. He doesn't say all that. But then look what happens in verse, verse uh, 15. So then Naaman, all of his attendants went back to the... To, to, um, well, he's going to take a bath and he's going to be cleansed. But look at what happens in verse 15. Then Naaman and all of his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. I know. I got it. I'm a believer. I got it. How did he get it? Miraculous, supernatural power, a cleansing of lepers. That's how he got it. And he was going to go back to his land and he would never be the same. Never. Because God did a miracle. God took something. If it was on his hand, if it was on his toes, if it was on his side. I don't know where the leprosy was. But I know a man who had leprosy that was set free through the supernatural power of my heavenly Father. Set him free. You know what's true this morning? You all have a supernatural power to be set free. He sent it on the cross. He died. He wanted you to know how much he cared. He could have sent a messenger. He could have told you to just go wash in the Jordan and you can get saved. No, no. He sent his one and only son to die on the cross for your sin. Is your life still the same? Have you stopped and said, wow, I see this amazing, all-powerful God. The Acts head. Um, I think this is fascinating. Chapter 6. The company of the prophets said to Elisha, look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Hey, Elijah, we, Elisha, we can't meet here anymore. The place is just too small. So let us go to the Jordan where each of us can get a, into the, get a, a pole and we'll build a place where, for us to live. We need, we need some more, bigger. Verse 6. And let the man of God asked, where did it fall? Where did what fall? The axe head fell into the water in verse 5. When he showed him the place, Elisha cut his stick, threw it in there, and made the iron float. Have you ever seen iron float? Have you ever seen an axe head float? Why did he do it? To demonstrate the supernatural power of his God. He wanted those guys that met with him and they were just concerned about the building and they needed a little bit more space. And so they made a plan to go down and cut this thing. Did the axe head fall off on accident? Was it just coincidence? No. It was so that those people would say, hey, that's our God. 
We can come to Him whenever we're the deepest, most broken, we're the most needy people. We can come to Him. Why? Because He raised the axe head out of the water, man. That's our God. Check it out. Last thing that I want you to see is in chapter 22. Just another reminder of the miracle working power of our God. Acts 22 is, a, is, is one of the only two kings that were described as a good king, a faithful king. Acts, or in, uh, in 2 Kings chapter 22, there's this young man by the name of Josiah. You know how old he was? Eight. So the two kings of this 300-year era that covers the book There's two kings, an eight-year-old is going to be considered faithful. You know what's interesting? It doesn't describe anything about his faithfulness, how big his house was, how many people there were alive, but look in verse 2. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. An eight-year-old reigned in Israel for 31 years. You know what that eight-year-old did? What characteristics or the character quality of that eight-year-old was over those 31 years as he grew? He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, walking in the ways of his father David. So as you look through 2 Kings, instead of looking through and seeing all the destruction of the nation of Israel, I wanted you to see the supernatural power of your God. I wanted you to come face to face that your God still can do miracles. I wanted you to know that your God, no matter how broken, how bad it is, whatever's going on in your life, that He can set you free, that He can help you. And I was reading through um, my devotions. Um, I was looking at a devotion the other day and just reminded myself of the spiritual battle just reminding myself that we will need the supernatural power of God to survive in our lives here in America. I was reminded of that spiritual battle, and I was reminded of this through this devotion that Dr. David Jeremiah wrote, that God uses ordinary people. Is there any ordinary people sitting in this room? I think there's a lot of ordinary people. God loves ordinary people. I want to remind you, of two words that could maybe describe you, but describe Mary and Joseph being ordinary people and being obedient. The Bible tells that Joseph was just a man, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 19, and I'm reading some stuff from Dr. David Jeremiah. He kept himself sexually pure and did as the Lord commanded him, Matthew chapter 1, 24 and 25. He was a hardworking provider as a carpenter to Mary, who was a person of purity, prayer, and scripture. Her songs were of acclamation or, or exhorting, of indicating her love for the Old Testament of truth and the willingness to trust her Lord. Let it be according to your word, Luke chapter 1 and verse 38. So I wonder if there's any of us sitting in here this morning that would just say, you know what, we're ordinary people and we're willing to be a useful vessel. An ordinary person can be a useful vessel and a gift to God that he can use, even if it's just an ordinary gift.
So this morning as you finish 2 Kings, Elisha, ordinary. Elisha's God, extraordinary. Elisha, ordinary. Elisha's God, supernatural power. Miracle after miracle to demonstrate that power. So this morning, as you're part of our family, I know we're all ordinary, but I'm not sure how many are obedient. I know we all have sin. I know we all face a spiritual battle. I know we all have, quote unquote, since we're sitting in church, we don't worry. But we all have concerns. And there's only one person that can take care of the concerns. That's the God of Elisha. He's the only one that can help you. So I want to remind you this morning, no matter how big it is, no matter how broken you are, no matter how much you are hurting, there is a supernatural Heavenly Father that wants to help you. And He's waiting for you to ask. He's waiting for you to run to Him. He's waiting for you to delight in Him. It'll be your choice today. I want you to pray with me. Father, thank you for allowing us to be around your word. and Thank you for letting us look very briefly at history. Father, thank you for giving us Old Testament. Thank you for letting us look at Elisha. Thank you for demonstrating your power through Elisha in extraordinary, supernatural way. Father, as you look down in our family, you know the ones that have huge needs. I'm not going to ask you to come forward, and I'm not going to ask you to stand, but I just... I want you to maybe just slip your hand in the air and say, you know what, Pastor Todd? I need you to pray for me today. I recognize I'm an ordinary person, but I need you just to ask the supernatural Almighty God for help today. Maybe that's just you. The situation is too big. The brokenness is too much. Would you just put your hand in the air and say, you know what, would you pray for me today, Pastor Todd? Okay, anybody else? Thank you. Put your hands down. Father, thank you that we're ordinary people that we that are in desperate need of a supernatural God. So God, I ask that you, Father, that you would work in the situations, Father, not just in the ones that raise their hands, but in all of us that need to have both hands up, saying we are desperate, we are broken, we are needy. There's only one person can help, and it's you, God, the God of Elisha that allowed us to look at the axe coming off the bottom, and leprosy being cleansed, and Jordan River opened, and it goes on and on just to demonstrate your power. God, help these people. Step into their worlds. Demonstrate your power so they could walk away as the warrior walked away, never to be the same. Worshiping you and you alone. If you're here this morning, you'd like to pray with somebody that watched the next ministry is here. They love to pray with you.
Father, thank you for allowing us to stop and be reminded of your power. Our Heavenly Father is able and capable and willing to help broken, needy people. So we need you today and we ask for help. In your name I pray. Amen.